Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Do you ever feel like you don't belong or that people don't care and suddenly all you can do is find yourself in this turmoil and like, why can't I do this? Or where am I supposed to be in my world? Or especially when it comes to the office space, because (gasps) gasp, you're LGBTQ or Anybody for that matter could be a person of color, or maybe you're somebody who just doesn't believe in certain religious things. And all that is about caring for yourself and others and feeling like you belong and being at peace in your own world, your own life, in your own space. Well, as we kick into 2022, I thought it would be a really great idea to go explore what is it like to create space to care, belong, and to be at peace in your life. And I'm bringing someone in that I've recently met who, well, she just kind of like leaps into these organizations and kicks a little bit of booty around all this stuff and says, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Her name is Diana Kutaya, and I'm going to let her kind of explain what she does. But Diana, I'm really excited to have you here on Life Uncloseted. Happy New Year. I know we're already a month into this, but um, glad to have you here. And let's go kick some booty today about, you know, really caring, belonging and getting ourselves into a space of peace. Gosh, Rick, I love that introduction. Um, can I use that now from this point yeah, forward? Yeah, you, you, go, you go use it wherever you want to, girlfriend. That's right. That's right. Thank you I so did. Much I wrote it that. while I was drunk, just so you know. So, you oh, know, fantastic. It. That's yeah, great. You know, That's you great. Know, sitting at, at a bar going, what do I want to say about this Diana gal? I don't know. <laughs> So um, that's, that's how most people talk about me, usually okay, drunk at a bar. So it works out really well. Yeah. Well, and we didn't uh, even know each other that well. And I already figured that out. So there you go. Right. So. Exactly. Look at that. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, let's like so dive much. into this because it's, I think it's great what you're doing and, you know, not only on the professional front, but I think as LGBTQ individuals, obviously self-care, feeling like we belong and being at peace in our journey. And anybody who says, oh, no, it was, I've never had any of those things. I just want to slap the shit out of because, hello, I, I don't think you right. could be LGBTQ and not having experiences. But tell me kind of what, you know, you founded this company in 2012 and, and you've been doing all this great work with organizations, but kind of bring us to that point of like, hey, what got this going for you? Well, I think like everybody, I would say um, I'm trying to create the world that I wanted to grow up in, that I wanted Mm. to live in. Uh, And in order to do that, I really had to think about, is there an entity or organization that I could work for that could help me do that? Um, And I think for much of my career in various ways, I found that. I found organizations that allowed me to be entrepreneurial, that allowed me to really kind of think outside the box. And then in really it was 2011, I decided um, I wanted to do something different. Um, I actually wrote my master's thesis was called Coaching Peace. Mm. And it was that was the title of it. And I thought, I'm going to get a master's. I'm going to put this to the side. I'm never going to look at this again. And what I found was many of the things that I was talking about in this thesis around Coaching Peace were applicable everywhere. 
Right. Um, and I wanted to kind of think about, so we think about peace as this place where I truly could be my authentic self, mm-hmm. where, you know, it is not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of struggle. It's not the absence of, you know, challenge, none of those things, but it is the absence of violence. And when I think about violence, I think about it, not just in the direct sense of, you know, I'm punching you type thing. I think about it also in the sense of cultural violence, historical violence, structural violence, right? All the ways in which we diminish, we demoralize, we oppress ourselves and others. So how do we create spaces there that doesn't exist at all, or at least create spaces um, that people feel like they can bring their true authentic selves at whatever level they want to. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that frustrates me all the time is I'll walk into companies and they're like, we want people to be themselves. And they challenge people to bring the same person that my wife sees at home into the office space. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it is not necessarily that I feel unsafe in doing that. I don't want to do that. Right. I want to be the person I want to be in the spaces where I want to be them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that we have to kind of also recognize and understand. Sometimes our need to draw people, you know, in um, can potentially also be harmful. So we really work with organizations to create kind of senses of belonging. I, I am railing against two words. Um, well, there's actually three words. I'm going to tell you, I'll see if you, you have the same number one. Well, I will never say the word unprecedented again. I'm tired of that word. I'm tired of the word pivot. That word can also leave um, our vernacular and also self-care. And here's why I am so tired of the word self-care. Self-care denotes that every bit of responsibility falls on my shoulders as a human. I have to take care of myself um, as opposed to community care. How can I even get the space to take care of myself? Yep. Right. If you say like, you know, I want to make sure I eat right and, you know, get everything I need, but the cost of good foods and good, healthy foods is so expensive that I don't even have access to that. I can't take care of myself Mm -hmm. because the community around me doesn't create that. And I think when we think about, the queer community, we have to think about the ways in which we create space and take care of each other. And I think we've done a really good job of that. And we've built a strong, strong community in that space. Gosh, I answered a big question. You did. And went in would... 17 different directions. Pick which exit you want to go off. Well, but I want to, I want to start with what you just said, because I think this is very critical, especially in this polarized <laughs> world we're living in currently, that if the community doesn't create that space for us to feel safe, And for us to feel like, okay, I can go do what I need to do for myself, whatever that may be, then it's next, in in my mind, it's next impossible to do self-care. Because first of all, people are going to go, oh, well, you're one of those that's really selfish. No, that's not it at all. That right there is the community not making space for people to go, hey, go, go do something for yourself. In fact, I just had this conversation not long ago with my mother about, okay, as dad's recovering from shoulder surgery, I need you to make sure, you know, that whatever we need to do, you go take some good self-care, you know, go take care of yourself. But what do you need for us to help you to do that? Because if I hadn't said, oh, well, just make sure you're taking care of yourself. Bye. It's like, what do you need, mom? Do you need, you know, do I need to come 
fly back up, you know, and spend a couple of days so that you can go do something, even though I know she'll fight every step away. No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> That's the other thing. You can't go. No, no, I'm fine. And then bitch about not being able to do some stuff for yourself. So again, that's a creating space. You have to create the space to give yourself permission to go do some of this stuff. I also agree 100% that freaking word unprecedented can die with orange hair yeah. as far as I'm yeah. concerned at this point. So um, pivot's an interesting one. It's never been one of my favorite words. It's like, oh, it's just so easy. Just do a pirouette and boom, you know, and I guess that's my dance background. It's like right. a pivot pirouette is not that easy, folks. So don't make it sound like, oh, just do this. And people used to do that shit to me all the time when I was first a coach. Well, you just need to pivot your direction a little bit. I'm like, no, I coach gay men coming out of the closet. I don't know where you want me to go pivot. You know, I don't have right. a magical fairy wand that says, poof, you're no longer gay or you're no longer straight, even though we yeah. know you can't just go poof, you're no longer straight. You never were straight to begin with. Right. But, um, you know, the pivot's always been like one of those, I'm like, you make it sound so easy, you know? And it's like, mm, not really. Right, like we just change. Right. And I think that it also means that, um, you know, sometimes we need to just stop, get off and create an entirely new path. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that that's important and get on the path that, you know, we need to. Um, so yeah, that's... Uh, the only time I've seen this, and, and I know this gal a little bit, we've crossed paths a couple of times at some conferences and stuff. Her name is Jenny Blake, and she has a book called Pivot. The only move that matters is your next one. Now, that makes mm -hmm. sense to me. Like, right, if you pivot, right. it's the next step. It isn't like, let's do the 360 pirouette. It's like, if you pivot to take the next right step. And I think this is the problem. So let's kind of dive right into your world. Sure. Let's, let's, let's come into an organization and let's make it a kumbaya. <laughs> really you think it's yeah. that simple you know or they give the lip service to this or even in our own world we're like oh you know i just i really just need to i need to get myself into a place of peace great like let's work towards that but it's not as simple as people try to make this sound especially when you come into those organizations and i'm sure that's part of where you find the challenge is like we got this great initiative and then where does it go well, I, I think you bring up a lot of good points. You know, one of the things that we really like to tell folks is number one, we're process people, we're not outcome people. Right. Um, we do our work through processes. So, and we embrace the process. Even as a coach, I used to say winning doesn't matter. Right. Right. That's not, that's not important to us. The outcome will happen. It's the process you have to stay focused on. So even when we think about like, you know, the only thing that matters is your next step. I say the only thing that matters is your, the step you're in. At that moment, the things you are doing in the present, it doesn't mean that we, we shouldn't think about the, the future by any means. Right. But I always say, look, plan for the future while you're impacting the present. So what are the ways in which we actually create kind of in, in, in environment around that? Um, I, you know, I think that when we are kind of talking about the idea of belonging, Oftentimes we will go into organizations and they'll say, just as you said, we just want to all get along. How do you get us to all get along? And my feeling is if we all get along, there's something wrong. Now, should we all be angry and upset with each other and backstabbing and hurting? No, but should there be healthy discourse and conflict at times? Absolutely. What we need to teach people is how to manage those. 
and how to actually use them and do it in a way that cares about each other, right? Like how do we create that atmosphere where I might say, gosh, I really disagree with you because I have to advocate for a different thing than you do in my current position. How do we do that in a way that respects each other? And I think that's the problem. We often think about, you know, conflict. One of the words also that that is a big, big red flag for me is when I go into organizations and they say, we're like a family here. Mm-hmm. And I think, look, as an LGBT person, um, I don't know about you, but we're pretty dysfunctional with our families at times. We come from, I wouldn't say we are, but we've come from some pretty dysfunctional families. Yes. And so for me, like when someone says we're family, I'm like, whoa, okay, hold on a second. Because what that says to me is potentially we overwork people. Mm -hmm. Potentially we don't acknowledge people's feelings in the way that we should, that we weaponize vulnerability. Um, Those are the things that I see in organizations that say they're like family. It's not exclusive by any means, um, but I think that it is really important for them to recognize and understand what that means and what we're asking from folks. But as you start to delve into that, I, and this is what I, it doesn't matter what I'm, well, <laughs> it's going to sound like, oh, it doesn't matter whatever I'm doing as a coach, but this is one of the things that always seems to come up is how do you define stuff? You know, people throw something out and go, okay, well, let's do this, but okay, but what does that mean? And I think this is part of the issue when you start going into these worlds of belonging and peace and all this sort of stuff is, okay, you want this, but let's get clear. And back to your process, unless they're clear on what it is, like unless they're clear on the outcome they're trying to achieve, no matter how much you embrace the process, if that destination isn't clear, it's never going to happen. And I think that's part of the challenge, too, when we look at these organizations and especially. okay, so we're going to step into our own little dysfunctional LGBTQ worlds. You can say, oh, I want to do this and I want to be, you know, I want to be my own person, even on our own LGBTQ community. I don't want to, I don't want somebody telling me this is how I do gay or lesbian or whatever. But if you don't get clear about it. You know, we are our own oppressors in so many ways in this. Um, You know, I have, I have struggled with my own identity. Um, I'm almost 50. And um, I didn't come out uh, like many women of my generation. Um, I got married very young to a man um, when I was 21, almost 22. Mm -hmm. Um, We were good Catholic, Italian Catholics um, and didn't come out till I was 28 years old. Um, And it, it probably took me until maybe four or five years ago to like really feel like I was in my own skin. Um, It was really hard to feel like, you know, I had relationships and I was, you know, in the gay community and um, was doing a lot of advocacy work and never felt like I was truly the person that I wanted to be Mm -hmm. and define, you know, I, I always, and I still do kind of rail against the term tomboy um, in many ways, because while I present masculine, um, being a woman matters to me and is important to me. And um, it was, it was hard to kind of feel like I had to define myself all the time. And I didn't know who I was and I didn't really understand what that was. And it was, gosh, it was so confusing. 
Um, and we don't realize how indoctrinated we are as, as young kids yep. to, to hate ourselves and mm-hmm. to hate parts of ourselves. And the unlearning of our own oppression, I feel, is probably more challenging than the unlearning of how we oppress others. Mm-hmm. And that oppression to what you do in the workplace it's it's the pebble in the shoe that carries forward with us. We'll walk into our work environments and we're like, I don't belong. Okay, well, I got to be careful who I am. Da, da, da. And before you know it, we, you know, we can throw out there that the company isn't welcoming or inviting or whatever we want to say. But if you don't give the company a little bit of chance, because this is what you walk in with is that belief, then kind of shame on you too. You know, now granted, once we get into some organizations, it may be very true that they're not welcoming, you know, you got to watch your P's and Q's and okay, well then now you got to make the decision. Like, do I stay or do I go, or do I say something and, you know, bring it up. But I find it interesting so many times. And, you know, anybody who's listening to this, I'm okay if you don't like what I'm about to say, but sometimes we bring our own shit with us. And if we don't like clean it up or attempt to clean it up when we're somewhere, then it's just, it's just going to keep going with us everywhere we go. And part of it is like owning that, okay, I don't have to feel this way about myself. And if I don't feel this way about myself, then when I get into these other situations, I don't bring that with me. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that we often have to think about is when we feel certain ways about ourselves, we look for the evidence to justify that. Yep. And that's what we see. It's that red car kind of phenomenon, right? When you're going to buy a red car, all you see is red cars. When I think that I am not in that space, there are potential where I'm going to look for evidence. Now, oftentimes you will find that evidence in many spaces um, because they are not welcoming. They're not open. You know, we want to move past. I say inclusion is making people feel welcome. Belonging is making them feel like you were waiting for them. And I would much rather be in a space where I felt like somebody was waiting for me than just somebody was like, all right, if you want, you can come in. Um, we didn't design this for you. This isn't you know, about you. But if you want, you're welcome to come into it as opposed to how can I actually listen and, and hear the voices of all folks when I am designing and creating cultures and spaces and reinforcing and also recognizing that like cultures are not fixed. Mm-hmm. They are constantly moving. And if you are not intentional about them, yeah. they can grow like weeds. So what is the way that you are really being intentional about creating those spaces where feel, people feel like they come in and they're like, oh, I belong here. Right. This is this is my space right here. And how do I take ownership of that too as a, as a person and not bring that stuff in and saying like, I don't belong, I don't belong, I don't belong. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I also think at times, so I work, I, I mean, I have my own company, but I also am, I'm lead coach for another company and um, it's pretty much my full-time gig, but I, I'm blessed because I get to do my own stuff too. And it's, it's been very welcoming. It's very open. I'm very open, but that's kind of who I am. I'm like, yeah, I'm gay. So there we go. We're done. Okay. We've had that conversation, but I also respect those out there in the workplace. who are like, I, they don't need to know about my personal life. Then go be you, boo. But also don't beat up somebody else who says, I don't need to disclose who I am in the workplace or 
hey, I'm open. Why aren't you? I mean, it's just this interesting thing, because, again, this is where we create our own sense of non-belonging within our own community. And the reason I'm bringing this up and people who've listened to this podcast have kind of heard this story a couple of different ways before. But I used to speak on PFLAG panels with a friend of mine who she was, you know, very much like high up in the ladder where she was. And she's like, yeah, nobody knows I have a wife. I wear a ring, but I just it's not something I choose to talk about. And she used to get beat up on these panels that we'd speak on. Like, well, why not? That's and I'm like, hold on, time out. This is how she chose to do her. So leave her the fuck alone, you know? Yeah. And even my current boss in the company that I work for, she's like, yeah, I don't talk about personal stuff a whole lot. And I respect that, you know, now, of course, she's lying because she talks about it all the time with me <laughs> because her and I just kind of, we're like best girlfriends, you know, it's right. like, okay. And I don't say she goes super deep, but I think this is part of belonging is, a, you know, belonging and then leading to the peace, so to speak, is allowing people to show up in their own way, in their world. Now, of course, you can get into those environments where you got to show up this way and it doesn't make people feel very comfortable showing up, you know, in a particular way. So where do you feel like that starts with like an organization if they're trying to like really bring this like, ooh, we're going to do kumbaya. But then suddenly when you're you walk in and you're like, well, we can't kumbaya because this, this, this. How do you start to like help them open that up, so to speak, through the processes? Yeah, absolutely. So we believe very strongly in doing our own personal work before mm. we begin organizational work. So we guide organizations. Um, we put together change teams and those change teams are responsible for really thinking about um, the ways in which the organization obviously does yeah. not support that. But, the, but before we even get to that point, we actually ask them to do personal work, right? We, in order for me to create, if I want to remove racism from the world, then I need to be anti-racist. And that responsibility comes on me. I have to do the work before anything else. If we want to create spaces where people feel like they belong, then I as an individual have to do the work around the bias that I have. I have to do the work and how I, you know, perpetuate oppression, all of those things. That work becomes really important before I can even begin to do that. As we say, I can give you all the policies, practices, procedures, routines, and rituals that you want in order to create a better environment. But if I don't have hearts and minds, it doesn't matter what I do. So we work very hard to see if we can really change, shift, and grow hearts and minds. And then, you know, through, through education, through learning and unlearning, which becomes really, really important as we move to that place where we want organizationally, we begin to operationalize the way we create a space that is belong, mm -hmm. that has belonging. Um, and it's, it's so hard. It's so like, when we think about it in the context of an initiative, right? When people right. bring us in, we always tell them, we start the work for you and our contracts are anywhere from nine to 18 months. Mm -hmm. We do, this is not overnight stuff by any means. And we tell them like, once we're done, you're not. So you can't have to continue to do this work. This is something you do every single day. You check your figures, your sales figures, you check your numbers, you check your inventory every day, check your culture, do it every single day, have intentionality around that, operationalize it, audit it, 
do all of those things. That's the thing that becomes really important, but changing those hearts and minds, that's the hardest work that we have. Yep. And it's so interesting in general, and I hate to, I'm going to generalize here to see how many organizations think that some of this stuff is a one and done from diversity and inclusion to, you know, you know, a healthcare initiative or to like, okay, we're going to, we're going to like talk about how we can improve the work environment in general, or like, what are the wage concerns? They have one conversation like, okay, yay, we did that. It, it, it can't, it's, this is not the way it's done, especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion sort of stuff. I think that's one of the key ones. Or when you say we really want everybody's input on things. So let's have this one meeting. And I mean, I did this with a company, which will remain unnamed a couple of years ago. We went through this whole 12 months of here's how we're going to deliver amazing customer service and everything. And of course, I knew I knew the moment I was doing this with them that, you know, okay, I'm going to be the dog and pony show. Next thing I know, none of it. It was all looked great. Oh, we had our kumbaya kickoff moment at the beginning of the year. And nothing happened. And then people wonder in general, so we're, you know, back in the corporate space for sure. Why suddenly, you know, everybody's like, I don't want to, I don't want to work anymore. I don't want to do this. Da, 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 da. It's also interesting. I think from the personal perspective, if you kind of take everything I just said and apply it to yourself, well, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to, you know, okay. And I've actually had <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this situation doing the work, probably not because you guys do 12 month engagements, but I went through a period of time with my lovely gay man brothers where I had like four clients in a row who signed up to coach with me. They paid for the full three month engagement, showed up a couple of times and never came back. Then I heard one of them through the grapevine because, you know, we're all, we're all connected. All of us gays and lesbians, we all know each other, right? <laughs> exactly. Sure. So the, world, so the world thinks, but that's exactly right? true. Exactly. But I did happen to hear through the grapevine because this was somebody who had been referred to me that, yeah, he's like, yeah, I did the coaching thing, but you know, it was just one of those things I knew I should ha- do. So I could just say I've done it. I'm like, oh. I wish I had that kind of money to like, ah, yeah, $4,000. I just, oh, I'll just say I've done it. Right. But I think commitment wise to yourself, this is also where if you want to create this sense of belonging in your own world and you want to experience peace in your own life, this is a constant working on it at it. I don't know that. I mean, my perspective is peace is not a destination. It's a, a way of life. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And and it's also important to recognize and understand that the that many of us have experienced um, tremendous trauma in our lives and that trauma changes us um, from, you know, especially if that's early, you know, developmental trauma and how we, what we have capacity to change, you know, together or not together, but individually, what I am, what I am able to do by myself um, is not nearly as, Um, significant as what I am able to do in community Mm -hmm. and how important it is for us to connect with each other, to help and heal that trauma as we go through our own journeys to find that space of peace. And I think I have always found community um, as a way of really connecting and healing the parts of me that, you know, 
have had the most shame, have had the most you know, trauma, the most violence. Um, that community has become so valuable and important. And how are we doing that? Not just the queer community right. and how we're doing that, but how actually are we doing that you know, as a society and creating that community for each other to go back to what we all started with? Like, how are we creating space where I can heal, where I can be vulnerable and right. it's not weaponized against me? You just brought up something that I think is very, very important to this journey is we have, and we kind of started this at the beginning of the conversation, you have to create the space. It's mm -hmm. kind of, it's kind of like what we do as coaches and therapists and all this, we hold the space. We create Absolutely. that space for this to happen. And unfortunately, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, okay, everybody go to therapy, but you probably be good but everybody thing. go to therapy with yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly um but i don't know that we especially you know let's just you know bring it out of the whole covid experience which you know is ongoing um but i don't think we realize how much that trauma has impacted us as human beings and how many people regardless of where you stand on vaccines and all this other stuff this has had an impact on who we are and how we feel we belong in the world and how we take care of each other and how we even, I, I said this to my husband, oh, riding more times than he wants to hear. Um, I don't know that we as a humanity now even know how to land in a space of being at peace with each other. We land in some spaces with each other as long as our, here's our group where this is where we play and this is, but I think it's created such a space of divide at this point that I, I would hate to say that I'm not sure we can ever get back to that place of let's have mutual dialogue and agree to disagree. I don't even know at these stages if we can agree to disagree on things. It's such a unique space we're playing in right now. I think we're, you know, you're, you're, you're right in so many ways. One of the things that we need to recognize and understand is we're all under a tremendous amount of stress right mm -hmm. now. And for many of us, that chronic stress, there's very little space to recover. Yes. Um, you might have, you know, the, the stress of the pandemic, but now you layer on that, you know, living in a world that is racist, you may say living in a world that is homophobic, um, you know, you may have violence in your own home. Like when you put on all the layers that come around that, I think it's really important for us to understand the amount of stress. And when, when we have no relief from that stress, that stress becomes toxic, that stress becomes chronic, um, that makes us sick. And I mean sick in the sense of, um, you know, we are not able to, to be our best selves. We're not able, we need healing, we need space to heal. Um, we need resources to heal. And while I agree with you that I think what we see in the world, what is, what is mirrored back to us um, so many ways is this intolerance of each other. What I actually see is a humanity that is hurting mm -hmm. and is, is truly been injured and is, is ill. And whether we do it on a large scale or we begin to do it in our kind of hyper local pockets, whether our neighborhood or our business or our friends or whatever it might be, we have to support and create space that allows people to heal from all of that and then allows ourselves to heal in that space. Like that's how we're kind of creating that. And part of that is just 
paying attention. My sister always jokes. She says that I should have named my consulting company Middle Child Consulting because the middle child in me is constantly scanning and Uh watching and listening and paying attention and trying to be connected. And I think if we all took a little bit of that, if we took ourselves sometimes out of our own context and looked at the context that others are living in and experiencing, it is not to diminish what we experience. It's not to to avoid or anything, but it's actually to inform Mm -hmm. how we live and to understand how interconnected we are, right? Like when you are dysregulated, when you are in a space of, you know, harm, then I too am in that space. And we have to recognize and understand that. And that I think is one of the the hardest things. I also think like, we just don't see the good stuff, but there's good stuff out there. It's just not what's going to get the clicks. So, you know, sometimes we have to like pick up our eyes from our phone and gosh, I am totally guilty of this and stop doom scrolling Mm -hmm. and look up because if you look around you, oftentimes you will actually see that we do love each other. We do care about each other. And those are the things that I try to focus on. I love that you went here because one of the things that I, I feel like happens is there's both sides of this coin. But one of the things that happens is if we, and again, back to therapy. So (laughs) if we haven't dealt with our own trauma and how we deal with some of this stuff, we're going to show up and deal with it the same exact way, whether it's the pandemic or the way we get treated in a work environment or how we treat ourselves or all of this. And at the core, what you were just talking about is like making room. So if somebody's like adamant that I can't meet with you, I can't, I can't meet you halfway, or I can't even have open dialogue with you. A lot of times that's okay, but this is how you show up. This is how you've been conditioned from some trauma, probably somewhere. I mean, you know, I know in my world, there was a lot of, you can't be that because this is not who you're supposed to be in quote, God's eyes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's the trauma right there. Right. And, you know, being told that, uh, you know, you're less of a man and da, 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 and all these sort of things. So then the minute you find someone who then says to you down the road, oh, you're less of a guy because you don't do this may not have anything to do with sexual. Oh, you need to man up and like, tell your team, this is how it gets done. The wound opens right there because as soon as that term got used, the trauma resurfaces. Yeah. Unless you've dealt with it, which I feel like I have in a pretty good sense. There's times that still, depending on the situation, it could be like wide open, you know, you know, CPR, please. But um, it's, it's such an interesting space to like, when you have that awareness to then go, okay, can I actually have a dialogue with someone? You know, can I go there? Because I've actually taken myself to the place of let's be open about this stuff. Now, Rick, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge you on one part of that in the sense of the idea of sometimes I don't even know what my trauma is. True. And sometimes I don't even understand. So how we create spaces, which is why we say like how we're creating healing centered spaces, trauma informed spaces, but healing centered spaces. Um, I'll give you a quick example of what I might mean by that. Right. A very like, rudimentary example. 
Um, I, you, you and I, although we look very young, I think we're close in age. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we look like we're in our twenties. God bless would, you. God bless I know. you. <laughs> I mean, you really, really do. You have wonderful skin. For those of you Everybody that are says listening, that. I apologize that you can't uh, it's, see it. It's very simple. It's um, it's charcoal soap, you know, the charcoal soap. That's all I use on my face. That's it. So That's it. And, and great I, jeans I from Mama. I am Italian, so I feel like I'm just sweating olive oil. That's there you go. What it just as seems as like you should, like, as all good exactly. Italians should. That's so. right. Okay, so, so here we, we are. We're derailing here, but that's right, okay. We derailed, but it's yeah. a good one. Yeah. You know, when I went to school, you had right-handed and left-handed desks. So, you know, the desk was actually like, it would have a little arm. And if you were right-handed, it would have a rest place for your elbow so that you could write. And if you were left-handed, and in fact, I, I remember a, a person coming into our school. Her name was Amy. And she came in and she was um, left-handed and my the nuns because I went to a good Catholic school and one of the nuns came up and said oh we'll get a desk for you and went into the back closet got a desk and it was all dusty and she put it down and she kind of wiped it off and there was Amy Amy's included right Mm -hmm. obviously we got a desk for you but we weren't waiting for Amy we didn't know she was there we didn't plan for that now schools don't have right-handed left They, they have universal design right so they've created an opportunity where we kind of say like, we knew you were coming. So if we know that people are experiencing trauma right now, mm-hmm. if we know that as businesses, that they are an inordinate amount of stress that is going on, how are we planning for that? How do we create space for that? You know, um, I posted something the other day and I said, we, we've all got routines. I don't know about you, but I am a creature of habit. Um, I do the same things every single day. It's like Groundhog Day every single day. I love it. And that is my way of feeling safe around things. I had a routine before the pandemic. Pandemic comes, my routine gets completely you know, shifted. I have now, a year and a half later, I have a new routine. Right. And now folks are like, well, we're coming back to work or we're coming back to the office. And now we're doing it. I'm like, now we got a new routine that we've got to come up. And it, it is the stress of that you know i don't know about you but if you drink black coffee and somebody gives you coffee with cream and sugar without telling you it's going to rock your world and that is what we're doing right now is we're giving all these people that drink black coffee cream and sugar without telling them by saying what hey pandemic's over you got to get back to the office and you got to do it five days a week and i don't know why you're railing against it you had your time at home you got to come back what they don't recognize and understand is this is stress you are asking me to change a way of being that I have found that keeps me safe, emotionally safe, psychologically safe, potentially physically safe. And now you want me to just change that because capitalism is telling me that we should get back to work. We got to make our money. So how do we create spaces where people feel like, oh, we're going to ease you back into that routine and it's going to be hard and we're going to manage and take care of you in that space. But we're still going to, we're still going to do it. Yeah. But if we don't pay attention to these things, Mm -hmm. that's where we derail again. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's like you said, and I think this is a really good space for us to kind of bring this conversation full circle is you can't just have the initiative. You have to have the follow through. Absolutely. It's got to be part of your organizational DNA. Right. And like you said, it's got to be like checking, checking the revenue numbers every day. 
You got to be checking right. your culture. You got to be, you got to be checking in with yourself every day. Like, okay. And again, you know, the whole care thing, but like, if you're not taking care of you, you need to check in with that and figure it out. This isn't like saying, go be self-care bunny, so to speak, but it's like, okay, am I doing good today? You know, am I feeling good today? If I'm not feeling good today, I'm not talking physical, but that can be part of it too. But if I'm not feeling good, what is it around the good that then I'm going to walk into the office and then I'm carrying that on my shoulders. And then suddenly the office isn't super welcoming and belonging. It just catapults. Right. Again, I'm not trying to put this all back on ourselves, but there is some ownership. I think each one of us takes with this, you know, absolutely recognizing when you wake up in the morning, you're like, I'm not my best self today. I'm not feeling good today. Um, How is that going to impact, especially if I'm a management or leadership role? How will that impact the people I work with? Do I need to take a mental health day because I can't be my best self today? Um, You know, what are the ways in which you are acknowledging if my responsibility is people? Mm -hmm. then I also have to take some responsibility in how I show up. Mm -hmm. So if you could like, like land this puppy, so to speak, with one last great piece of advice about really stepping into this care and belonging and peace, any of those, or just being at peace, you know, in the workplace or in yourself, what would be one thing you'd like to leave the audience with right now? I mean, I would love for folks to do a little experiment and look at two things. The first of which is what are the people or communities that you are a part of or you're connected to that have truly made space for you to, to heal in all of this? How are, how are they creating space for you? And then I would love for folks to think about how they are doing that for others and just audit it. Don't beat yourself up over it. Um, This isn't a measure of whether or not you're a good person or not. This is about awareness. We're all in the place that we're at. So you start where you are and take a look at all of those things. And then think about what is one thing I might want to change or how can I show gratitude in some way to those spaces, whether it's to an actual person or just in my own thoughts and heart. Gosh, I am grateful for the community that I am part of that helps me create this space or has created this space for me to to be my best self. And I think that's a big piece of this is really realizing what is the space that needs to be created and what am I going to create for myself and what am I going to create for others? Absolutely. You know, and I, I feel very fortunate to work for this other company. I mean, for, I work for myself. I just give myself all the space in the world, you know, but this company that I work for, it's pretty freaking amazing because none of us Wonderful. work to, you know, we're not in office. We're all remote. We've been remote from the moment the company was created yet. The owner is amazing at, I want, in fact, he says, it's more important who you are than what you do. And that just emanates through the entire company. And I've never worked for an And I, I mean, this is so big for me, Diana, that when I, when I got laid off in 2006, I said, I will never, ever work for another company again. Never. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own boss. And to know that they wrote me in, it's because of the culture. Yeah. It's because the trust, the autonomy, the ability to say, Hey, I, I mean, here's what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in working in Idaho. My dad's got to go in the hospital. I'm taking off a couple hours, getting back and forth to the hospital, but I'll be right back. I mean, there's never this, Oh, well, you should have put out. It's like, go do you now. Yes. If you're going to take a whole week and just disappear. That's a whole different conversation, but 
I think it is the, that ability to create space with yourself and for others that is so huge. And we need to do a whole lot more of that. And absolutely who better than I believe to be the poster children to do this than the LGBTQ community, because that's part of at the core of who we are. It's like creating space to be who we are. Right. We've been creating spaces for each other for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we know, cause you and I lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We just back our, for a few more rounds here to like, kick uh, absolutely. Ass. absolutely. That's why we have such nice skin. I'm that just is. That's I know. Good. So, so here's the thing, Diana, I have to run because we got a, a nice skin commercial to go shoot. So, uh, <laughs> but I've enjoyed this. I love it so much. What, what's the website where people can reach out to you? We'll have it on the show page, but I always love um, having, I guess, actually say their website. So people I'm um, so listening. appreciative of that. Yes, absolutely. It's um, coachingpeace.com, www.coachingpeace.com. Awesome. Awesome. And it's well, P-E-A-C. Yes, just exactly. Just <laughs> in case. Yes. If you're still hung over and you don't remember how to spell, it is P-E-A-C-E because that's where we started. We, we started like a, you know, you know, the beginning. Exactly. Were we on the air talking about that? I don't think we were talking about being at the I bar. I don't know if we were, we were talking I don't about that. We, no, we, we were because it was we, after the intro. That's, that's true. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I was drunk when I wrote your intro. That's, that's right. right. So, that's okay. Right. So you guys all see how this does. We, we're still drinking. We can't remember where we started, where we did. But um, I'm so glad we had this time today. I sound like Carol Burnett, didn't I? I just sound like totally Carol Burnett there. I'm so glad we had this time. Anyway. But I, I, came, so it worked yeah, out. I, I love this. I love everything that we got to share and i hope everybody takes away from this and goes out there and makes 2022 like hey make some room to help others feel at peace and like they belong and like really make that op- you know opportunity to do this for each other absolutely thank you my friend i'm grateful for you uh you too thanks so much Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family, another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping into living your life uncloseted.